For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics with Republican political consultant Neva Hill. And sitting in for Ryan Kiesel is Oklahoma Policy Institute Legislative Director Bailey Perkins. Bailey, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. The general election is now less than four weeks away, and the latest poll has Republican candidate Kevin Stitt with a narrow lead over his Democratic opponent, Drew Edmondson. In a survey of 500 likely voters, 46% support Stitt, with 40% supporting Edmondson. Meanwhile, Libertarian candidate Chris Powell has 4% and 9% are undecided. Neva, what do you think of these numbers? I, I think they're predictable for where we are right now. I mean, when you when you look at the Stitt numbers uh, coming out of the uh, runoff in August, uh, uh, we found him with numbers that were uh, that were higher. That he was, uh, I think, polling around 49%. Uh, and so, I think what we see in in the closing stretch of any competitive race is that the numbers narrow. And I think uh, what we also see is that there is somewhat uh, parity in spending between the the two candidates. And that also is a is a very impacting uh, part of the proposition. Um, You know, to this point, uh, uh, Stitt had been the uh, person who was outspending everyone. And now that has changed. And so um, I think I think we'll see that go back and forth. And I think there will be a lot of uh, um, a lot of competition. We'll see whether outside groups come in and weigh in in a significant way in terms of the dollars out there. Those do clearly influence the, the poll numbers as well. Bottom line is, I mean, when you really look at, at, at the, the polls that are out there, to me, the significant takeaway point is that in the generic ballot question, the Republicans still have a 14-point lead, and I think that's, that is that is the good news for Republicans looking at the November election. And Bailey, 9% undecided, so there's still a lot of leeway here for both candidates. Absolutely. And when you look at um, what's happening in upticks in voter registration, mm-hmm. um, it's really going to be a race about who decides to show up to the polls for early voting or for uh, the November 6th um, election day. Um, when you look at polling on particular policy issues, you're seeing um, Oklahomans are in favor of Medicaid expansion and they're in favor of monies for education and that's something that the Edmondson campaign is is pushing hard and so it is going to be a very competitive race and it really is going to depend on um, who shows up to the polls. And I think it also depends at the at the at the end of a campaign about which issues really start to get real hot traction and I think uh, you know uh, normally uh, and particularly in gubernatorial races uh, the issue of taxes is always one of those cutter issues and now we have a contrast between you know, someone saying that they will not raise taxes versus someone who says that they would be uh, uh, would find it acceptable to increase taxes. So the tax question is one thing. I think there are several other policy issues that are out there that that are smaller drivers among you know pocketed voters. But overall, I think it becomes the issue. At the end of the day, it really is what the voters view their their uh, candidates looking at them kind of through the prism of uh, are they conservative or moderate or liberal based upon where they are on that scale as well. Yeah, and also you mentioned education. And, of course, uh, they've, there's been some talk about, uh, you know, Edmondson really kind of came out clear about where he wants to go. And Stitt seems to be basically saying, uh, well, we could do property taxes. And sometimes that doesn't always sit so well with your local uh, officials when it comes to education. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it really is going to um, depend on 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 where people are in in conversation that um mm-hmm. neva was mentioned um as we get closer to election day and and, and what um policy stances are going to be on the minds of of voters um 
it's also going to affect um, what's happening on um, lower ticket on the ballot right. since there's more candidates and, and what conversations they're able to, to drive on the doors. And so there's been a lot of conversation about um, taxation, but there's a lot of conversation um, for those who are in the education policy realm who are pushing for um, more dollars for education, and that could help the Edmondson campaign, and so we'll see. And I think when you look at who is likely to vote, I mean, some of this polling that's out now indicates that uh, Edmondson is doing well in the metropolitan areas, uh, where, you know, Stitt, uh, as we would expect, uh, you know, is doing well in rural areas. He was on on the recent polls showing that uh, Stitt was performing better with the uh, male voters, uh, Edmondson with the female voters. I mean, all of those (laughs) things in terms of turnout do begin to have have an impact, but the bigger takeaway way is, you know, some of the missing pieces. For instance, will McCornett endorse, uh, publicly endorse Kevin Stitt? The expectation is that that could come very soon, maybe as soon as today. Uh, yeah, uh, And uh, that will definitely have an impact in the metropolitan Oklahoma City area where uh, he, uh, you know, he performed extremely well, uh, both in the, uh, in the primary and the runoff against Stitt. So uh, those things, I think, could have high impact in the race as well. There you go. Agreed. Well, and recently, um, Mary Fallon came out in favor in endorsing Kevin Stitt. So right. that so could have an impact. Depends on, on the endorsements, right? Absolutely. Oh, it's education supporters are returning to the state capitol ahead of the general election. The event dubbed the Remember in November rally takes place Saturday afternoon, October 27th, with the slogan, Walk Back to the Capitol. Organizers want to send a message to incumbents who didn't support public education of the walkout last spring. Bailey, is this a good way to get the message out to voters? I think it shows that this is the after effect of the teacher walkout. Um, Some folks wondered on whether this would be um, a one-and-done event, and it's showing that teachers are still engaged. There's still um, either frustration or excitement, depending on what side of the coin that you're on, but it's showing that at the grassroots level beyond any um, organizational structure that – Um, teachers and those connected to the education realm still are engaged and still want to uh, have a voice in the election cycle. And so um, it will hopefully continue increasing turnout and keeping people engaged and and aware um, in the election and beyond. And even they made sure to hold it on a Saturday, so it would not actually (laughs) stop any uh, classes. Do you think it also, when it's going to hit the news, I mean, all the news places are going to out-report it, and it's only a week before the election. Do you think that's going to matter? I, I think it, uh, everything matters at the week before right. the election. Every level of activity by any any group uh, has some impact uh, in terms of generating turnout. Obviously, I think that's one of the motivating factors. They're trying to they're trying to mobilize and remind people who uh, traditionally, when you look at uh, look at the voting patterns, have not been the best voters. So, I mean, they they, they see that as uh, uh, as something they've got to really key in on. I think the other side of the coin though is that uh, that if it's all a one-sided discussion that it's just all about more money and there's not the balance of really reflecting back on what did happen uh, during during the session what the votes did actually do in terms of uh, of, of beginning to um, uh, address the issues uh, not only just the $6,100 average uh, teacher pay raise but the fact that there was $52 million additional for support personnel the $33 million for textbooks the $17 million that uh, was 
added to the state uh, funding formula. Those are those are ongoing. Those weren't one-time deals. This is something that was that uh, that we now have infused into the into the uh, uh, the the budgets uh, on the education side. So progress was made. It was significant. And I think if it's just about uh, you know you really didn't do much and uh, we're going to be back in in a, a high-spirited way and demand more and more. I think uh, I think the question in my mind is how will voters react to that? Because I think the longer that we see time pass from the uh, uh, from the the time that the teachers were at the Capitol, mm-hmm. uh, there has been some change I think in public sentiment over that. And and so there's a real fine line there where you can go too far, too, too you know too too hard and too far to try to make your point and maybe lose ground. And Baylor, there weren't there aren't many incumbents left who didn't support the tax. Most of the twelve of them were were voted out just in the the primaries and runoffs. So uh, there's very few who didn't actually make this vote. They are still left. Most of them have resigned or they've, they've, they've been ousted out in, in elections. And I think that's an area where we can credit um, those who have been engaged in, in pushing the legislature to um, make more investments mm-hmm. into education and, and core public services um, with increasing um, the amount of revenue going towards education. We're also seeing now on um, campaign trails that education still the number one talking point, whether you're a Republican candidate or a Democratic candidate. And they're not just talking about um, education and what happened last session, but what needs to happen going forward um, and investing into classrooms, reducing class sizes and things like that. And so I think the conversation that's happening um, with parents who are doing this rally, but also um, just the continued conversations during the election cycle are continuing to push legislators to to focus on what else needs to continue to happen to strengthen the education system in Oklahoma. And I certainly hope that in addition to their focus on the legislative races and the uh, races in November, that that these same folks in in the school districts across Oklahoma will be interested in what happens in the local elections with their school mm-hmm. board uh, with their school board members and trying to engage more at the local level, where I think they can have, as we always say, all politics is local, have the highest impact the fastest. And I think uh, it's an education process for them as voters to see that they really can have a significant uh, a significant influence on what goes on actually in the classrooms in their home districts. More important, when you're voting for city councils and school boards, that's where your real changes are going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you see folks who have experience in the education realm, um, in school boards and and, and in some municipal um, level seats. But for the first time um, in our state's history, we could possibly have like the largest teacher caucus within the Oklahoma legislature. So that's even going to shape what conversations happen if more teachers are elected in the building. And that could also drive more people to be aware of what's going on in education and influence different levels of engagement. Sure, we had a lot of teachers sign up last last. last spring so to run for and a lot of them are still alive so it's pretty amazing the independent candidate for state treasurer charles de coon helped uh, held a press conference at the capitol attacking his opponent state representative randy mcdaniel for legislation mcdaniel authored over pensions he even brought out state workers including firefighters law enforcement officers and teachers to raise concerns about the negative impacts of mcdaniel's pension reforms neva de coon is mcdaniel's only opponent uh, what do you think of his move to attack mcdaniel on what was basically mcdaniel's signature achievement in the state house <laughs> well i think it's it is an attempt to get some uh, uh, to get some attention in, in a race where when you have no money, you have no name ID, 
there's very little interest in, in these uh, secondary races, quite frankly. They really uh, have to battle to get any attention at all. I mean, it gave him a headline. It gave him a uh, it gave him an opportunity to kind of get his name out there for the really the first significant time in in the race, and maybe the only time. I mean, it uh, he raised an issue that was, as you say, the signature issue against uh, Randy McDaniel, but I don't think it has any traction. I think it was kind of throwing a bunch of stuff out there, none of which really had a lot of substance to it. It was more just the kind of the overarching themes that we always see when we talk about pensions and cost of living increases and the things that that uh, that are impactful in that area. But the bottom line is, during his tenure in the legislature, there was vast improvement in terms of, uh, of uh, how these pension funds uh, that were upside down actually became very, uh, you know, a very well, uh, very well placed and uh, much more solvent. So uh, I, I just don't see it as having much traction, but it was an opportunity to get a news conference. And Bailey? Well, I think it brings in um, important conversation, yeah. um, if anything, uh, regarding um, pensions in, in Oklahoma. Um, now that there has been progress within the pension system, it brings a great conversation about where do we go from here to ensure that we're meeting that commitment that we gave to state employees of when you get that pension, ensuring that um, the value of that dollar um, is is consistent with inflation over time. And so I think it's it's a great opportunity to, to bring in an important issue when it comes to ensuring that we're funding COLAs for for pensions and, and making sure we're meeting that commitment for state employees. And regardless of whether or not it has any traction, at least it reminded people there's a treasurer's race. Well, that's right. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, as I say, any secondary yeah. office, I mean, people struggle to get attention at all. I mean, mm-hmm. the folks get in the, the voting booth or look at their absentee ballot, and, and all of a sudden here are all these other races that have not been the, the focus uh, dur- during these months of the election season, and they, uh, and, and they really find that they know very little about some of these candidates. So, uh, uh, that part of it is a is a healthy part of the democratic process. And Dacoon was the only was the only is the only opponent to uh, McDaniel. So if Dacoon wasn't even running, there would be no Democrat opponent. So at he least there's actually people. some kind of uh, at least some kind of a challenge to that seat. Absolutely. Oklahomans who usually don't vote are getting absentee ballot applications in the mail. The nonprofit Center for Voter Information is sending out 59,000 applications, mostly to African-Americans, Latinos, millennials, and unmarried women. These groups are notorious for sitting out of elections, especially in midterms. Bailey, do you think something like this might help? I think any opportunity to make it easier for more Oklahomans to participate who have been traditionally disenfranchised is always a great thing. Um, It's not uncommon for groups to help push um, different ways for for voters to to get engaged. And so this could be a great opportunity for those who um, may not typically um, be targeted during campaign seasons to get the information that they need and to make it easier for them to participate this election cycle. Yeah, Neva. And I agree. I think uh, I think increasing voter participation, voter awareness is always one of the things that, uh, that particularly these nonprofit groups, that that's part of their focus, should really hit that head on and, and be as aggressive as possible. The flip side is sometimes these, uh, these programs to identify and target certain sectors um, meet 
with a little bit of uh, uh, resistance. I mean, folks, I think, sometimes are stunned that uh, that they can get something in the mail, that uh, they have a, a ballot already basically uh, uh, pre-printed out with their name and information, and that the, that the suggestion in some cases, not necessarily this specific one, is that where they show that, look, we, we see that you haven't voted in the last uh, four elections, and, uh, you know, we really, uh, we really think that this is an important part of the process, and we really think that you should go vote. And people are somewhat startled, I think, at times, that how, how do people know whether I vote or not? Well, it's public information. This is yeah. information readily accessible. There's nothing proprietary or private about it. It is out there. And we don't I don't know think how you voted. We just that, know that, you, whether yeah, you, that, you did but, but we do know if you went to the polls, whether it was in an absentee ballot form, early person voting, or or you just go to the polls on November 6th this year, all of that will be all of that will be recorded. So uh, again, I think there's this give and take anytime you're trying to engage people uh, uh, in the in the process. But the overall takeaway, I think uh, all folks across the board, regardless of party, would say is a is a good, healthy part of the process. And I like the fact that they were sent out uh, ap- just absentee ballot a- applications, basically showing people, because a lot of people think, oh, well, the only way I can vote is to go in person on that Tuesday. And, well, I've, I've got work from seven to seven. There's no way I can get away. Well, this is kind of a way of telling people you have other options. Absolutely. And I don't think most people know that. They don't, and especially because... Um, opportunities to vote and ways to vote vary per state. So if it is someone who is new to Oklahoma, um, this could be an opportunity to show them another way that they can participate um, in our state. And so it also drives um, an important conversation about some opportunities where we could do things to um, make it easier and expand opportunity for people to participate, whether that's pre-registration or it's vote by mail or other opportunities. And so if this per, uh, if this generates um, more turnout and increases uh, more participation, then it gives us opportunity to look into other election reforms. There you go. The number of registered voters in Oklahoma has surged over the past nine months by more than 76,000 to 2.1 million. Republicans made up 60% of the net increase in voters, followed by independents. Neva, while this is good news for the amount of registered voters, do you think we just talked about? Do we think it has any impact on the actual turnout? I I don't know that it really alters the turnout. We're talking midterm elections where uh, historically in Oklahoma as well as across the nation, voter participation is lower than it is uh, in presidential election years. So uh, I think always folks that are on the ballot in years like this, they know that uh, that they've got to really work to get folks out. You have the you have that traditional segment of the population that always go vote. These are people who are that have been involved in the process. They understand it. And they're the predictable voters that we all really key in on. These are the folks that we know are going to go. So these are the po- folks that get the most attention, get the most mail, get the most door contact. Uh, they're, the, they're, the, uh, they're the real keys to the election. But expanding that universe is, is obviously the optimum scenario. And I think uh, all of these things in, ter- in terms of just getting people registered, that's step one. So when we see this increase, uh, um, it, we can look at it from the standpoint of you know which party is is most impacted positively or negatively. I mean we've talked about the fact that even in these current numbers with independents being 15 percent of the registration wow. now in Oklahoma that's significant and it and it clearly it is the growing number. I mean we even though the libertarians are now recognized as a party it is not a party that's getting any traction in Oklahoma still less than one percent. Uh, but I think uh, I think beyond the takeaway of Republican 
Republicans becoming dominant, uh, you know, after uh, after uh, these numbers coming out, making it 47 percent. I mean, in 1990, it was uh, we Republicans were 33 yeah, percent. So, really I mean, low. you know, as we look across the, you know, the spans of time, I mean, we've seen a real changing political landscape in Oklahoma that doesn't seem to be moving any different uh, direction per se right now, other than as some of these newer registrations are, are are coming up. I mean, I think younger voters, we are seeing more of them being inclined to, to uh, uh, identify as independent as opposed to one of the two major political right. parties. Neva Bailey, what did you think about this, the registrations? I think it's um, always a great thing that we're seeing an uptick in people um, registering to vote and participating. Um, but when we compare it um, to our population, um, it's around the same amount. So um, one interesting thing that uh, my boss, David Blatt, uh, brought to my attention was um, in 89, we had um, about 2.2 million uh, voter registrants um, when our population was 3.1 million. And today we're close to nearly 4 million Oklahomans, but our registration is still below that 50 percent ish yeah. when it comes to to registration and so we still have a long ways to go to ensure that more people are um, participating and getting registered to vote in that first step of, of being a part of their um, civic engagement process but we are in a peak time while people are really interested in the issues to continue that uptick of, of making sure more people are participating in the and, I, and I, I was think also thinking have a 76,000 I'd love to check the numbers I would love to see someone over at the Oklahoma Policy Institute did something like this how many actual people turned 18 during the past year uh, surely there had to have been more than 76,000 Oklahomans who turned 18 who could register to vote. So I'm wondering how many of these are just brand new voters who just turned 18. That's a, that's an interesting question. So, and I, and I, and I do think that that kind of, that kind of bookends what we've talked about in terms of education sure. and, and the number one issue that's always on the minds of the voters and the fact that we have this uh, long road to go to really get very good voter participation in our state. And I think, I think we've got to marry those. I think we've got to, when you talk about 18 year olds, I mean, they have to see the value and the civic responsibility uh, of becoming a good voter and, and becoming engaged early, not just something that uh, that we expect when we know that the, if you're 65 plus or 60 plus, you're going to be, a you know, in all likelihood, be a very good voter. But it's that wide gap in between and particularly on the lower end, uh, you know, with younger voters who, you know, say that it just doesn't matter. My vote doesn't count. I just I don't care. I mean, the the level of uh, disengagement is uh, is always troublesome. And hopefully we can do more to really uh, educate them on on that process and and the value of of being someone who does take that vote seriously. Right. And the realization though that the local white races are the ones that actually do matter when it's when when you're smaller. Not not don't worry about the president's race. When you're talking about local city county, your state representative, these one vote does that actually matter. Absolutely. And I think as long as we are ensuring that elections remain competitive or we're giving people a reason to vote, mm -hmm. um, we'll see an increase of of turnout. Um, considering what's happening um, across the nation, but even here in Oklahoma and the different challenges that we're facing, we're seeing a lot more people um, get fired up in, in finding candidates that they believe in. And so with um, the record number of people running for office um, and the exposure that people have and, and feeling that connection to, to different issues, I'm hopeful that we'll see more people continue to participate over time and, and get registered to vote. There we go. And Bailey's and Neva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management.